Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Good morning. Very warm welcome to you on this day. My name is Dennis, one of the pastors here. And this is my wife, Rachel. And she is going to read our scripture from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 4 to 30. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, What do you want, or why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man that told me everything that I ever did. 
Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Today, I wanna focus on one verse as our key today. It's John chapter four, verse 10. The King James puts it this way. If you only knew, if you only knew, would you say that with me so you can get that phrase in your mind? If you only knew. And first of all, let me say, if you only knew how honored I am to serve as your pastor. Every week is a delight for me as we are in this partnership of the gospel, if you only knew. And this month, October, is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I want to say as pastor, I appreciate you. I appreciate our staff, our servant leaders. I appreciate all of us together as the church, if you only knew. If you only knew, Jesus said, the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. But she didn't know. She didn't know. And so what I want to do today, a very simple message, is look at the knowns and the unknowns of this story, using that little phrase over and over again, if you only knew, and use it as a case study for our own lives. So in a case study, we will begin on the surface and then we will simply work down and drill down today. There was something on the surface that we can assume everyone knew about this woman in this small town of Syker in the Samaritan Hills, standing at a traditional spot known as Jacob's Well. What everyone knew at least the Jewish reader, she was the ultimate outsider. Contrary to Nicodemus, who was mentioned in the previous chapter, that great religious leader who was the ultimate insider. Perhaps that's why she was going to the well at the noon hour. Traditionally, women in that culture would have traveled in the evening in the cool of the day with other women. It was a, kind of a social hour, a social event to catch up on the latest. Perhaps she was the latest, the talk of the town, and we find her by herself at the noon hour. Now, one advantage of being the talk of the town is that you don't have a problem forming a crowd. Any change in her life would have been the center of controversy or gossip. And we see that that worked to her advantage at the end of the story when she went back and she says, come meet a man who knew everything about me. And she became an evangelist of the good news of Jesus. She was the ultimate outsider. Now, why would we assume that, at least the Jewish reader? Three strikes against her. First of all, she was a Samaritan. And for the Jewish reader, Samaritans were not to be associated with. They were the hated race. Number two, she was a woman. And women in the first century were at best second class, and at worst, they were slaves or property of their husbands or fathers. And third, she had a questionable relational life. Jesus 
pointed it out. He said that you've had five husbands and the person that you are living with today is not your husband. Oh, it's easy to assume. In a small town, that doesn't happen in our small towns or big cities today, right? But be careful because assumptions get us in trouble. There's some things today, looking back through the centuries, we understand about first century culture. Women in the first century, in that context, could not get a divorce. Men were allowed, for many different reasons, to divorce. But she would not have been able to divorce or initiate that divorce one time or five times. We also know that one reason many men divorced their wives or abandoned their wives was when they found out they were barren. Now, can you imagine the pain and the rejection of loving someone or thinking they love you, but because you could not bear a child, they would walk away? In that culture, having descendants was everything. It was a way that you would continue with eternal life. You'd pass on the family name. And so we don't know if she had that kind of pain in her life or she had lost her husband's five times. But we do know that she, and I can assume now today, that she had much hurt. But on the surface, the Jewish reader may have not picked up all those things. On the surface, everyone knew she was no good. But let's throw another spade into our case study this morning and go a little deeper. There was something that only she knew and only Jesus knew. The townspeople did not know. Only she knew and only Jesus knew it, but she didn't know that Jesus knew it. She didn't know that John had described Jesus as knowing what's inside of people. She thought, at the end of chapter 2, she thought she was the only one who knew this. Now, what was it that only she knew and only Jesus knew, although she didn't know that Jesus knew it? Are you still with me? <laughs> only she knew and only Jesus knew she was thirsty. She was empty. Perhaps she was searching Longing. I'm grateful for Dr. David Siemens now with our Lord. He was my professor at Asbury Theological Seminary in pastoral care and counseling. I sat under his teaching for a few years. In his seminary class, he gave me two terms that I've carried with me throughout 30 years of ministry, and that is the persona and the person, taken from Paul Turnier's work on persona and person. I've based this sermon today off of Siemens and his teaching on this. It says, all of us have an outward shell, a persona that we are known for, and that is our manner of dress. It's our public self. It's the way we act. It's our tone of voice, our, our mannerisms. What you see today, you see the public me. I pray that the public me is also the private me. I preached on that 
a few weeks so you can go back and look at that sermon on authenticity. But what you see, the tone of voice, the way I say words, I blame my parents, I'm from Southeast Ohio, I have a little bit of that twang. That's the persona. That's the public. And most of our relationships in which we know, even in this church, we see each other in the hallway, we, we see each other uh, at an event or we're online and we're chatting, we pick up the public self. We say, how you doing today? We say, fine. Our world may be falling apart, but that's what we say. It's what we project. And rarely do we allow individuals to move beyond the persona to look behind the Wizard of Oz curtain to see the real us, the true us, the one who has questions about God and about life, the one that has struggles or loneliness or self-esteem issues or addictions. Because that's holy ground, that's sacred space, and rarely do we allow individuals to know the person. I learned about that in Siemens class, but I discovered the truth of that in my first appointment. I was one of the youngest pastors of the West Ohio Conference when I was appointed by Bishop Ammons in 1991. Wow, pastor, you're old. That's right, I'm 53. But at 22 years old, while I was still in college before seminary, the bishop appointed me to a two-point charge in Highland County. Now, I was going to school at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky, and so every Friday, I would get my little pickup truck. This was before Rachel and I were married, and I would drive 160 miles one way to Highland, which is north of Hillsboro, right beside Leesburg. Wonderful, beautiful little church there of about 50 people. How many have ever heard of Highland? How many have vacationed in Highland? <laughs> How many have ever heard of it? population, 223 at the time. And that was on a good day when all the dogs and cows were at home. (laughs) We actually had a little town council and a mayor. The mayor was part of our church. We had one police officer. He was a member of our church as well. We called him Barney Fife. (laughs) And that was the town in which I was appointed. And I was proud as a peacock only pastor who had a house in town in the summers. I'd be there all summer. And I'd get to know the people, walk up and down the streets. There were only a few streets in town. There was one man who lived in the street that paralleled Main Street. His name was Henry. He didn't go to our church, but he would sit day after day out in his front porch. He was in his 70s, always wearing his bib overhauls and chewing tobacco. Can you picture him in your mind? And he was always up there on his porch and I'd walk by and I was getting to know the community and knew his family. So he, he started calling me Padre. Hey, Padre, how you doing? Don't you call me Padre, but he called me Padre. And he said, come on up and sit a spell. He was a talker and I'm a talker, but when we would get together, he would talk mostly and I listened. He'd talk about all kinds of things and he enjoyed telling stories of the past. He loved talking about politics, current events, informing me all about Highland County and Southern Ohio and also talk about religion. He'd talk about Jesus. We got to know one another. One day we're up on the porch and he said, Padre, I like you, but I just want you to know that I'm never going down to the Methodist church. That Methodist church of yours right down the road, I'm never gonna go there because they're just a bunch of hypocrites. That's what they are. And I was just a young pastor, 
22, 23 years old, didn't know much better. So I'd say things like, well, come on, Henry, you can come on. We can always take one more hypocrite. Let that sink in. All of us are hypocrites in our own mind. We, again, talked about that about three weeks ago. It went right over his head. But then we began to unpeel the onion on the front porch in the little village of Highland. And I learned that that was the big block for him, hypocrites. There was something more going on. Henry grew up in a fundamentalist church south of our little village. He was there pretty faithful. He reached those teen years. This is a farming rural community. And one Sunday late afternoon, they were having a church event and worship event and revival. And Henry showed up and he was wearing his bib overhauls, which is part of that culture. And one of the leaders of the church met him at the door. I learned this from Henry, but also from his wife and said, now, Henry, you need to respect the Lord. You need to realize that when you come into the house of the Lord, you need to dress properly to meet the Lord Jesus. And then he scolded him. You need to go home. And he said, never come back until you realize that you need to dress properly for the Lord. <laughs> and Henry went home. But what did he do, gang? He never came back. And that hurt, that pain grew. We say, oh, come on, Henry, throw it off. But it grew and it grew. And that became his crutch. And that became his issue. And that's what he would tell his wife. That's what he'd tell his kids. Hypocrites. And listen, he was willing to take that pain to the grave to enter into eternity. How many people under the sound of my voice, those worshiping online and those in this room today, know of individuals or maybe yourself that have some issues or you're estranged with brothers or sisters and you're willing to take that to the grave? That was the real issue going on. Jesus met this woman at the well and he touched the most sensitive painful part of her life. And what did she do? She deflected. Did you hear it from the scripture? To the greatest theological argument of the day between the Jews and the Samaritans, which mountain? I see that you're a prophet. Which mountain should we worship on? You Jews say it's down in Jerusalem, but we know and say that it's in Samaria here. Where is it? But Jesus, he pierced through the persona. He saw the emptiness. He saw the loneliness, perhaps the hatred of herself or the disappointment of the abandonment. Let that be a reminder. Are you in the house today? Let that be a reminder to you. Every time that we make hasty judgments of people, they're no good. Amen? Maybe there's something else going on as like in this story. Now, this is a three-part easy message today. It's like I remember it enough not to have my notes here. I want to go to the deepest level. There was something that only Jesus knew. Townspeople, or at least the Jewish initial reader, wouldn't know this. 
She didn't know this about herself. Only Jesus knew it. What was it? That she could be reborn, that she could be born again, that she could have a fresh start, a clean slate, a starting over, a second chance, a new lease on life. Only Jesus knew that. Only Jesus knew, as Charles Wesley would later write that great Methodist hymn writer of our tradition, that he breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. If someone doesn't say amen, I'm going to get raptured myself. Amen? (laughs) Only Jesus knew. And all of her longing, all of her searching, all of her attempts were simply a way to find love, what she really longed for, which was living water. And only Jesus knew that. Now, we know that too because we know the power of the cross. We live on the other side of the cross. And I'll never forget the morning. Around 1994, one of my last years there at Highland. Marsha Hannah was at the organ, a young Marsha Hannah. She's still, after 30 years, the organist of that church. We're still in touch. She was calling the faithful. It was just a typical summer day. People were gathering. We, in that old rural church, we'd sing the old hymns. Now, some of you would remember these hymns that we sang or never heard of them, but some, we would sing songs like, come to the church in the wildwood. You know that, keep your day job, pastor. (laughs) And as we were gathering for worship, people were coming in. The back door of the sanctuary, which is the front door of the church, opened up and in walked Henry. (laughs) And by the way, the roof didn't fall in. Those guys did a pretty good job when they put it up. Now the preacher about had a heart attack. (laughs) But the roof didn't fall in. And he just kind of slid in the back row, like one of these back seats up there. If, he, if we had a balcony, which we didn't, he would have been back and hiding in the balcony somewhere. But then as we're in, the, we're in there, he caught the preacher's eye. And he smiled as if to say, it's okay, Padre. It's all right. You see, I got up early this morning and I've been down to the well, Jacob's well. And I've been drinking from the fountain of life. It was literally only about one or two months, maybe three months after that event that I got a call from his wife telling me that Henry had died of a massive heart attack and said, Pastor Dennis, he wasn't a member of the church, but you were his pastor. Would you conduct his funeral? And then she said, would it be okay if we buried Henry in his bib overhauls to meet the Lord? And I stood in Greenfield, Ohio, and I preached the good news of the resurrection and the grace and love by the power of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you only knew. I love that phrase, don't you? If you only knew what I know, that we can be changed. The old things are going to pass away. That all things can become new. Let me close here today. Some of you are ready to go. Hey, I'm going to let you out a little early maybe. We'll beat the Baptist to Bob Evans. <laughs> Don't tell the Baptist friends that today, okay? (laughs) 
talking about food, this week I had a wonderful meeting with our global ambassador for Gingsburg, our pastor emeritus, Michael Slaughter. Now, Mike and I have known each other for 25 plus years. This may be a surprise to you. And by the way, if you're watching Mike, and I'm sure you and Carol will, good morning as they watch us on a regular basis. This may be a surprise to you that even though that we've known each other, this was our first meeting together since Bishop Palmer announced my appointment back at the beginning of the summer. We've, we've never met together since. We talked on the phone one time, but this was our first time. We met down at Coldwater Cafe, had a wonderful lunch, shared a lot and shared some stories of the past and he prayed for me and I'm just grateful. I'm standing on the shoulders of others and I know it as I said before, and I'm thankful. And he came over to the church and we had some time with the staff. It was just a great time. But again, it wasn't the first time we'd been together. I shared with some of you during Meet the Millers that 20 years ago, this very fall, not 19 years ago, not 21 years ago, it was two decades ago, I was the new young pastor just up the road in Piqua. We just moved into an incredible new facility. We were growing like wildfire. It was a very exciting time in the life of that church by the high school and people were coming and new lives were coming and changing and people were being baptized in the pond out front there. And it was exciting, but as 32, 33 years old, I was just over my head. You know, at seminary, they don't teach you about leadership and structure. They mostly teach you about the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and some pastoral care and things like that. And so I got a hold of Mike and he met me down at the ark with a few other pastors. And we met more than once. And he started, with just a few of us, to pour out his leadership and his best practices to these young pastors of Miami County. And I often wonder if I didn't have that time and the influence of him and other people that shaped me and molded me, if I wouldn't have got that message young, if I would be in the place that I am today. Here's what I do know as we leave, and here's what you should know. We've got the message here. Amen? This morning, we've got the message of God's love, of God's transforming power. Let's take that message because people are looking, they're searching. They're no, you know they're longing. Some don't know that they're searching, but they are. Let's take that message into a world that's longing for living water. Lord Jesus, today we come and it's been a good day, an amazing day, day full of praise and glory to you. Thank you that you gave us the strength to get out of bed, not to live in isolation, but you've called us together for such a time as this. You've called us to the well this morning, to Jacob's well. And you pierce through the mask, you pierce through the public image that we feel we have to project. You see the real us today. And you offer us grace and love and new life. 
you don't keep us where we are, but you continue to mold us and transform us into your very likeness, Lord. For that, we give you praise. Our hearts are heavy for family members, for daughters and sons, adult daughters and sons, or teenagers or others, perhaps, or maybe in our own lives, brothers or sisters, who are just where Henry was. We pray, Lord, that you'll bring people into their lives to unpeel the onion, to touch the real them. We pray for healing and wholeness, Lord, and miracles, and new beginnings. We thank you that you break the power of canceled sin and set the prisoner free. For all this, Lord, we give you praise and glory for not only what you're doing this morning, but what you're continuing to do in the life of this congregation and throughout the world. Help us to be available for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.